0: Hi, welcome to the Fix Your Sex Podcast, where we talk all things sex. I am your host, Amina, and I'm a sacred sex coach, tantric body worker, pleasure activist, and all-around sexual revolutionary. I'm here to share my thoughts and hot takes on how and why we are still having bad sex in the 21st century and providing some solutions and tips so that you can have great sex, not just sex, great sex for the rest of your lives. Um, quick disclaimer this podcast is for grownups and there are sensitive topics being discussed. So if you are under 18 or if conversations about sex or the usage of profanity bother you, you might want to leave now. This episode of the fixture Sex podcast is brought to you by Beducated where you can take first class online trainings to transform your intimate moments from meh to breathtaking. If you want to increase your sexual well-being and boost intimacy and connection, visit them at www.beducated.com. Today's show, I'm going to talk about a few things. I want to talk about polysexuals or non-ethical, I'm sorry, ethical non-monogamy, <laughs> non-ethical monogamy, that doesn't work, um, and um, zengasms. I'm going to talk a little bit about zengasms, it's not what... I thought it was, it's not what you may think it was, but we're going to switch it up a little bit and using sex as a professional healing tool. That's what my topics are this, on this episode. But first, before we get into any of that, before we go into the pro whole tip, before anything else happens, I want to say, holy shit and thank you, um, we hit a major milestone this month and this little weird project of mine now has had 30,000 downloads. And I didn't see that coming. I really didn't. But I'm so glad that it did come. And I'm glad that I'm here. I'm glad that you're listening. I'm really grateful and humbled by, by the whole thought of this podcast um, existing. It was just a little vision, a little project. And it's still a baby, but 30,000 downloads makes me feel proud. Um, I celebrated with some new podcast art, right, so go check that out. Uh, our logo has changed. We're still... It's just a podcast logo, so it's pretty cool, though. And um, and I have a really exciting production schedule for 2020. So I'm really excited to share more um, detailed conversations. I'm actually going to start adding in some roundtable conversations that we have here at the Institute with some of the Goddess Gang about sex and sexual experiences and fears and just a little more vulnerability in 2020. I want to encourage um, us to... Be vulnerable and to experience what that feels like, especially as it relates to our sexual experience. And so I'm excited about that. And, um, I would love to hear your feedback too. I would love to hear things that you want to have discussed, some topics that you want to learn about, um, shoot me an email and also please, please, please leave a review I'm at 30,000 downloads, but I only have like two reviews. So I know y'all listening. Your mom's not going to read the download, please, I mean the review. So please take a moment and go if you have time and leave a review if you're enjoying it or if you're not. I mean, I learn from all sides. So just leave a review. I prefer five-star reviews, but I get it. I'm not always, you know, on top of every point. So express yourselves. Let me hear some feedback so I can improve, so I can strengthen um, and so that I can, you know, so other people can find me also. So share, share your, share your podcast with the world. Uh, I also want to do a quick shout out and thank you to all of you listeners who are supporting me and this initiative on Patreon. We are now just 10, um, members or 10 patrons away from my 2019 goal. So if you haven't joined already, please run on over patreon.com forward slash ATL tantra. And you can um, be a podcast super fan for just $3. I, I, it, would, it would really mean a lot to me to have you over there. So please do. And um, all right, that's enough. That's enough about me and this podcast. Let's get on with the show. The Pro Ho Tip, um, for those of you that caught my last episode where I talked about yummy Eggs, or I guess it was two episodes ago, this, um, this Pro Ho Tip is actually brought to you by uh, the Yoni Egg course by By Beducated. It's an online course and I know I get, you know, I have my Yoni Day parties here in Atlanta and we are looking at traveling with the Yoni Day party, but it doesn't always offer, everybody doesn't have access to that. And I'm really grateful that Beducated um, decided to support this episode and um, and support the Proho tip with with their yoni egg online course. So it's a little it's over eight hours of tutorials and exercises um, with filmed visuals so that you can look and see what you're supposed to be doing with this yoni egg that you ordered. Um, if you haven't ordered one, you can always order one from me. but you you need to know how to use it. You know, we need tips. So um, there's hundreds of women have already taken the course. And it's a great opportunity for you to um, to embark on a journey of self-discovery, healing, and pleasure. So please do check them out, Beducated.com and their Yoni Egg online course. But today's pro tip is all about harm reduction. Um, it's it's AIDS month. World AIDS Day was just uh, a couple days ago, and uh, AIDS Awareness Month, and December... Um, You know, in addition to the reminders that we have with Red Ribbons around, we also just received a news report that showed that STD infections um, are at an all time high in the country, which is crazy, Um, pretty spectacular, if you ask me. Rates for the big three, which is um, chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis. Have risen every year for the past five years, and it ain't my fault. Um, don't go blame the sexual revolutionaries for this, because there is too many. There are too many ways to be safe and um, practice harm reduction, minimize your risk when you're having sex, and every good hoe knows that. So, um, and it's this this report that came out was kind of a double edged, or I guess there's a good and a bad side right? So uh, it's the most cases ever reported by, um, to the CDC or by the CDC, but that means more people are getting tested than ever before. So that's good. Um, but a lot of these super bugs are expanding out and, um, you know, we are living in a very antibiotic resistant time. And so it's just really important that, um, that you are getting tested, so that's that's the good part. But the bad part is that less people are reducing their harm around sex, and a lot of that has to do with awareness. I mean, as a sex educator, and I used to be a, a HIV and STD counselor and tester uh, when I was in Hawaii working with Life Foundation, which is now Harm Reduction Hawaii. That I, um, you know, we 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 went into the schools to teach. But we were very limited in what we could teach. And that still was way more progressive than where I'm at now in Georgia, where, you know, most sex ed here is abstinence based. It's not pleasure based. So there's so much shame and stigma around sex. And there's so much shame and stigma around STDs, um, which is which is ridiculous because most are treatable. Almost, you know, the overwhelming majority of them, you take a pill or get a shot, and and you go on about your way. Once you are aware, and you don't infect anybody else, right? Um, it's it's an infection. You caught a cold in your penis or in your vag. It's all good. But I mean, it's, you know, it's good as relative in that statement. But there, um, there, the ones that aren't treatable, you can you can live with if you manage your care. And you can risk transmission if you manage your care. So it's really important that we are aware of this as, you know, harm reduction first starts with awareness. So knowing your status is a stage of harm reduction. You reduce the harm of others. And we have to have a bit of like um, herd immunity in STD and sexual practices because not getting tested is not going to help anyone. It's not helping you and it's not helping your community. Most of us fuck within a certain mile radius, right? And so we're we're only like one nut behind somebody else. It's really important that we are um, that we're taking care of each other as a community, and and not being all willy nilly with with this. Um, also, as a community, undiagnosed STDs lead to infertility in women, and um, you know, not to be on some handmaidens' tail shit, but with the stats saying that we're now at the highest ever, or the most reported cases ever, and we're seeing an increase in infertility. I think it's really important that we, you know, kind of pay attention to that and, um, listen to our bodies a little bit more. I'm not, you know, this pro tip is not meant to scare you, but just to make you more aware, make you pay attention more. How, um, Harm reduction has a lot of looks. Getting tested is one of them. Asking your lovers questions, having open conversations, creating dialogue around health and risk, Um, saying no sometimes, not feeling like you always have to say yes, go with your gut, feel what feels good. If you don't feel really great or you sense that something's off, I mean, it could be something as simple as like bacterial vaginosis, but that's transmittable. And easily curable. Um, And so just, you know, I mean, even yeast infections are transmittable. And we all are walking around with yeast on our bodies. So it's really important that we listen to ourselves and be okay saying no sometimes. Um, And and then I want, you know, I want everyone to enjoy sex. But I also want you just, you, you know, your reduction of harm can look like sex with the lights on um you know we move into and this is not to say that symptoms can all be visually you know located but some can you know some symptoms are actually pretty visible um you know uh genital warts can be very visible herpes when when it's um you know when there's an eruption it can be very visible uh, we we we're, we're fucking with the lights out it's not helping anybody Um, not being aware, not being paying attention and being also, it's just like this shameful sex practice that we do. We kind of like rush into it and we don't want to see genitals. We just want them to kind of connect. We want them to rub against each other. We want some friction and we just want to act like they're not there. So paying attention to our bodies, um, obviously using barriers like dental dams and condoms is um, clear harm reduction. And a lot of people don't know how to use them. So, but you we, we figure out everything else from, from the internet. So there's enough information out there if you're not really sure how to use a dental dam. Back in the day, we used Saran Wrap before you could buy dental dams. And honestly, I would still use Saran Wrap because dental dams can be expensive. You can usually get them for free at your testing centers. So wherever that's at here, you can go to Planned Parenthood or AIDS Atlanta, uh, 8 Atlanta and you can uh, access prophylaxis there for free, but you also probably have it in your kitchen. I do want to tell you that not to use the microwavable kind because that's porous and that doesn't really protect you. Um, but also lube is also harm reduction. So, um, a lot of virus, viruses are passed through, um, through blood contact. And so what happens is we create these micro tears and, um, it can, you know, that's lube can help actually reduce the micro tears that may present in the anus or vagina. So an unlubricated receptive, uh, receptacle is going to be more at risk. So you can reduce your harm simply by making sure that the genitals are well lubed. Um, and also sex doesn't even have to involve the genitals at all. So you can step out of, um, whatever your understanding of sex is, branch out a little bit, create, you know, create with your sex, decide what feels good and what intimacy can look like outside of just genitals kind of bumping together. So anyway, that's today's pro tip, not to be all scary and woe is us, but holy shit, that's, that was a big, um. A big number, and I just wanted to talk about that. Harm reduction is your pro-hole tip. Learn how to reduce your harm around your sexual practice. And again, that is brought to you by the Yoni Egg online course from com. If you enjoy these pro-hole tips, go on over to Patreon and become one of the 10 supporters that I need to close out this membership drive, this winter membership drive. I'd appreciate it. All right, now on with the show. Now, for those of you who don't know... I am one of those polysexual folks that you hear about. Um, I really like that term better than polyamorous, although I know that that probably somebody's cringing when they hear it. I I do believe that everybody kind of falls under the polysexual term, but um, ethical non-monogamy is really the umbrella term. I don't identify as polyamorous because I am... I identify as a relationship anarchist. And I know this is going to get really weird because some of you know, I just eloped. We got married in Hawaii in September. And so that sounds like it might be on the other side of some spectrum that doesn't have anything to do with relationship anarchy, but I'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, But I want to answer a few questions especially um, some of the questions that I've gotten from those of you have slid so ever respectfully into my DMs, asking questions about non-monogamy. And there are a lot of ways to do the non-monogamy thing. I just, for me, RA or relationship anarchy is the easiest. It's more comfortable. It's what resonates with my spirit. It makes me feel good. And that's just how I roll. Um, easy though, is very, it's, it's a very complicated word. So, you know how I talk a lot. I mean, it's in my, it's my tagline about being the love you want to see in the world and uh, being the love that you want to receive in the world. I, when I was younger, was a cheater. Believe it or not, I was, um, I had, when I was in college, several girlfriends. I love them all equally. But I was very dishonest about our relationships, and that hurt a lot of people. <laughs> so I've and I've, I've grown from that and apologized for it to them. But it's um it's it was a very like healing thing for me when I realized that I didn't I didn't have to be monogamous. Like the, I could be myself and and just be honest with folks. Give people the opportunity. To make a conscious decision about whether they want to be in a relationship with me that doesn't fit in traditional molds, and um, and respect their decision. It sounds so simple, right? When you say it like that. Um, someone gave me the book Ethical Slut uh, many years ago, and. Um, there was a quote, there's a, a line in there where she says, one remedy for the fear of not being loved just to remember how good it feels to love someone. If you're feeling unloved and you want to feel better, go love someone and see what happens. And that is my world, y'all. Like, that's what I do. I love on people. I love on people professionally. Like, I'm a professional lover, literally. And I love on my community. We have built a beautiful, thriving community here in Atlanta. Um, I, I feel like I didn't build them. They were already here. I just, I'm the center tinker toy. And I just like being the love. Like I want to share love. I want to, exp- sharing love, offering love allows me to receive love. It feels good. It reminds me of the power of love. And I do it because I want to love. I do it because the world deserves love. Receiving love from someone back in return is never my reason for love. Love itself feels so good to me that that's what I strive for. That's what I do. I love, um, and so monogamy is just that doesn't fit in that in that world view of just being able to be present in love for folks because there's um, there's entitlement in monogamy. There's a sense of entitlement, an understanding of entitlement that I and I alone am entitled to your love. Now that you've told me that you love me, I I'm the only one that should hear that from your lips ever again romantically. Um and we get possessive and really owny and weird around this concept of love and what it is. And I believe I can love as many people as I want to. And I want my partners to feel like that. I want I want my I want everyone to experience what freedom looks like all kinds of freedoms, you know, tantrum means liberation. So I want that liberation in my relationships as well. I want to be able to be free to love. I don't want to feel like there's some betrayal that's going to happen because I'm loving someone and I'm moving into a space where I'm experiencing love with someone. Why would I want to limit that to me? And why would I want to limit that to my lovers? That doesn't make sense to me. For me, I can't swallow that. So, that's that's why I identify as relationship anarchist. Now, relationship anarchy is a little bit different because um the idea is it's we t- we move in a space that's not elevatory that it doesn't require anything out of you know the relationships that you're in. So there's no nothing about traditional relationship models fit in under this. You just move how in a way that feels good, which is why I said this gets really weird because we just got married, right? But there were a lot of a lot of elements around our decision to get married, and my um, mm-hmm. my husband when we met was de- definitely identified as monogamous, serial monogamous. And this is a new world for for him that he's involved in. He's monogamish now. Um, he's open to, to dating um, and to relating with other folks, and um, and he's moved into sex work. So that's also very um, a very different space for him as well. But our our understanding the word relationship like I have a relationship with everyone. My banker, my you know, we when we go out, you are creating these little relationships with folks. So it's not that I'm anti-relationship. My anarchy is on the model and understanding of what relationships are supposed to be according to society, according to the set of rules, um, that, that, that sense of entitlement that is there, I don't have to deal with. Um, so that's what I'm, that's, and there's a lot of information out there about relationship anarchy and polyamory, that you can find the Polyamory Society um, defines polyamory as the non-possessive, honest, responsible, and ethical philosophy and practice of loving multiple people simultaneously. So, a lot of people in their um, polyamorous relationships they will establish uh, different, you know, different different rules according to what they need. Um, usually, often, not. I don't even say usually, often there's a primary, uh, primary partner. And then, you know, the other partners can get in. However, we see a lot of trends right now with, um, with poly guys looking for a, a, a third girlfriend. And, um, back in the day, I used to, you know, go to some swinger parties and, I've always been kind of the solo, flirty, fun, um, unicorn, but I don't like unicorn hunters <laughs> ever. I, as a unicorn, I'm just going to like gallop over into whatever the fuck I want to gallop into. But when folks are out kind of, um, and the term unicorn hunting, I know it's starting to get played, but it's what happens. Like I see it so much. I see people who are really, you know, the girlfriend is looking for a woman and it's like there there needs to be some kind of understanding like a general book needs to be put out on like the idiot's guide to unicorn hunting because um getting a third person in a re- in a relationship to me sounds so bizarre uh now this is funny because i have a third right but it does it didn't start off like that because you going out and finding somebody and expecting them to be attracted to both people is so it's so rare i mean you have to be two pretty amazing people to just assume that folks are going to be coming up and want both of you shout out to king noir and jasmine because they can do that shit they can go and they don't have to hunt unicorns are just going to gallop over to them all the time um if you are not familiar with them both, go follow Jet Setting Jasmine and King Noir on social media and you're welcome. But outside of them, like, there are they're, they're rare exceptions. They're, um, they're a unicorn couple, shit. So, And there are unicorn couples out there. I like to think maybe EJ and I are unicorn couples. But I know that I'm not going to be many people's cups of tea. And he understands that as well about himself. So that's why going out is so challenging. And I hear, um, I mean, dating is challenging when you're just trying to go date one person. And I say this as a dating coach, like it's hard out here. But I meet people who are really frustrated in their you know, desire to have a third person. And we're not talking about swinging. We're not talking about just bringing somebody in for some sex. We're talking about finding a third person To be in a relationship with you. I just think that's some weird shit. Like. (laughs) For a number of reasons. But mostly because for me. I have never dated with the intention of a relationship. That is weird to me. It's like. I'm dating so I can get to know you. I want to. um, Experience you. And share time and space. And learn about another human being. And see about. All the, you know, who, what, what's the world offering? I am not dating because I got a timeline and I need to have a relationship by the end of 2020 or something like that. Like that, that concept is so foreign to me that I can't make sense of it. And I don't try to, I don't try to make sense of it in my coaching. I don't try to make sense of it with clients or with friends. I'm like, you are crazy. So that off top for me is weird. And I've, I mean, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, right? Cause I had, I was married and in the Muslim tradition, when you're going to get, you know, if you're dating, you're dating with the intention of this, you hoping this person's going to be a spouse. Um, that doesn't usually end well. It just, it's not, it's, it's not very practical <laughs> because you don't know anything about the person and here you are trying to plan a long, like, a long period of your life with them. I don't even want to plan travel with a stranger for a three-day trip and people are planning, you know, futures with, with a total stranger. That's weird to me. So moving out at that energy to go find somebody um, that you want to be with, that's supposed to want to be with both of y'all for, for a long period of time, that's weird. That's weird. And it seems like it gets weirder because... There's so much conversation about community building and financially how important this is. So I, it's like, is this commodity dating? Because that's that's strange, right? That you want somebody to come in as a contributor financially to your relationship that you have with someone else. And that this is somehow supposed to build community or something and I'm I'm, you've heard me talk about it before I think it's ridiculous the only way that any wealth is going to get built that way is if one woman has multiple men and that's not what I see a lot of especially not in the black community but in general um there's not a lot the poly communities that I've been you know privy to have always been heavily on the one man you know the OPP the one penis policy and that is I mean, one man gets five girls pregnant, five women pregnant. Uh, That's a lot of it, man. But if I get pregnant, and we don't know who the baby daddy is, but all four of you are chipping in because we are building a real community. Like that's, that's actually community building. Now I have four wage earners while I'm raising the kids. I don't want kids, but I'm just saying, if you're thinking about poly situations, it doesn't, and you're trying to bring in the finances of a woman as your unicorn. That is cuckoo. It's crazy talk. Uh, you're on the crazy bus to poverty. <laughs> so enjoy that ride. But anyway, I digress. It bothers me whenever I see it. Um, unicorn hunting is it, it, It's challenging. Even if you are just doing it for sex or if you're thinking about bringing in a third, I really think you should think about from that person's view like what is your expectation of that person and be realistic what is your expectation of your partner set some real clear ground rules like and i i mean i'm not gonna have any rules i don't do rules our relationship is in my marriage and and mine is different that i want you to live your best life goodbye i'll see you tonight that's the rule um you know, protect me in this space. If you have unprotected sex, we have a conversation. We have some testing to do. Um, and we have some barriers to use until... And, and likewise, if I have unprotected sex, this is what we have to do. We're responsible humans. And that's that's my rules. But other people aren't really thinking about you're pulling... You're trying to pull someone in and you haven't really ironed out what it is that you want. And a lot of times I think people don't even think about, like, what the sexual role of the person is going to be. So if I'm bringing in another partner, a third, and I'm bringing in a woman, what is there, what do I, what am I desiring from them sexually? What am I offering sexually? Um, is Am I expecting them to be um, sexual with me or both of us or just my partner? Things like that, like the, the ironing out of the details, because... Ooh, that's where the devil is. Anyway, um, I wasn't gonna go on a huge tangent about unicorn hunting, but it really tickles me fancy. My um, as I mentioned, my husband is monogamish and um, we moved from monogamy. A mono, well, I wasn't monogamous when he met me. I I disclosed right away that you know this is I don't do, I don't do monogamy, and. I enjoy dating and I actually had another partner when we first started um, as we started dating, another partner that I was you know kind of somewhat serious about, but that that fizzled and we're still friends, but that's gone. And um, And so we're navigating this space, right? And it's different because there is um, there's there's emotions that we have to deal with there's a lot and we do a lot of spiritual work so there's a lot that comes to us in our meditations there's a lot that comes to us in our in our dreams and our, our our subconscious mind is actively a part of this relationship both of ours and um and then we get a lot of questions from people like how do we deal with the jealousy and i um <laughs> I'm a weirdo, y'all. Like I don't think I've ever experienced jealousy. I have experienced betrayal, but not jealousy. So that I understand what the feeling of betrayal is. Um I've experienced lies, liars and not but not jealousy and and I just I'm not sure how that feels to be jealous. So I have a hard time Coaching around it. but What I do know is that jealousy is rooted in almost always in fear Um, in fact in the book more than two frank Vo talks about that And and his take is that there's this, this fear of, of abandonment Um, this is his quote the fear of abandonment of being replaced of losing the attention of someone you love of being alone um, jealousy isn't really about the person you feel jealous of. It's about you, your feelings that you might lose something precious. And that that's really it. It's like this understanding grief, I think, for me at a young age. I lost my father at 11. And I think that processing grief for me, learning to process the grief for me from that point to 22 when I finally like felt somewhat successful in my therapy... Um, really changed my understanding of jealousy. I don't like being lied to, but I understand that people will lie because they're they're fearful, right? We tend to manipulate um, the facts because we don't want the person to leave. We don't want the person to not like us. We don't want to be honest because they might go away and that's not what we want. So people lie. I don't like that, but that's, that's that, you know, like that's different than jealousy. Understanding that where your jealousy, what are you jealous of and where is that coming from? What is the feeling? I always say jealousy is like, it's an emotion, like hunger. Like, you know, it's just an experience that you're feeling. And so in the same way that we know how to, that we can identify how to resolve hunger. We, we should work towards identifying how to resolve, um, how to resolve other emotions like jealousy. It's not going to be easy, but it's definitely worth it because it shows up in so many other ways that we are living. And, um, and it can definitely, it will help you in relationships. It will help you in your sexual experiences, in your money in your work, like all of these places, it will show up because jealousy expands. It's, it can overtake you. So anyway, um, that's that on poly shit. That's my poly spiel for the day. I wanted to talk, um, I want to nerd out for a little bit. Well, it's not only nerding out, but I think it is a little bit. So in 2016, the National Center for Biotechnology Information published a study titled Mindfulness-Based Sex Therapy Improves Genital Subjective Arousal Concordance in Women with Sexual Desire Slash Arousal Difficulties. Um, There's not a lot of, first of all, there's not a lot of science out there about women's arousal that, I mean, it's not enough compared to everything else. Um, So finding a study where there is, where they're combining mindfulness and women's arousal was like, um cap turning for me, you know. But it got me to thinking about Zen and our bodies. And I thought I came up with the term Zingasm. You know how you think you invented something and then you find out you ain't invented shit. Like that's how I felt with sex doula. So I was like, oh my God, I was a birth doula for years. And um what I do now is sex doula. Like I'm guiding someone to and through their sexual process. That's the same thing I was doing with babies. Oh my God, I'm a sex doula. And then I went and Googled the term, is anybody else a sex doula? And there's sex doulas out there. So I remember when I when I had that moment a few years ago and um, and I had the same thing with zengasm zengasm I'm like oh my god it makes so much sense you know you sit and you have a focal point and you just meditate while you're having sex and move into orgasm raw it's gonna be perfect zengasm is trademarked y'all Um, and it's interesting because the book and the whole program on zengasm that's out there you can google it Um, it just talks it's like a man's guide to pleasing a woman so I really feel like what a sad way to take that term and just make it all heteronormative and shit. Okay. Um, anyway, (laughs) I'm not going to stay on that, but I wanted, um, I wanted to still talk about it because I still think zengasm has potential to be something greater, even though it's trademarked, you just don't use it to sell it, but you can talk about your own personal experience in orgasm as zengasms. Um, and first of all, zen is not even the word that we tend to think it is often. Like it's not a spa massage treatment. It's not a yoga pose. It's not a green, soft green color on the wall. It's not an emotional space or a look even. Um, it's actually a Buddhist sect. <laughs> so it's weird that, that when you go, if you find the Zengasm, the book, you'll be like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. At least I was. But um, the Buddhist, the the Zen Buddhist, uh, teach that um, there's enlightenment through meditation. So why wouldn't we? And the meditation is also very focused, right? So the idea is that you like empty your mind of everything else and give attention to one thing and one thing only. Whatever that thing is, it could be you know the blood moving through your arm, or it could be your clitoris, your G spot. Your partner, um, heart energy. So I, that's why I was going with the whole zengasm idea. Uh, there's this understanding of meditating while you're having sex to move yourself to a space of orgasmic bliss. But then the Oxford Dictionary recently added an English definition to the word. It's in relax and not worrying about things that you cannot change, which, okay, I'll roll with that. I'll take that into consideration. Um, I do think it's inappropriate to bastardization of the word, but we'll go with it. Let's say it is relaxed and not worrying about things you cannot change. That's still about being, um, in that meditative state to me, which is different than like being present and being in the moment. And that's what I hear from that. That's what I hear from a lot of Zen. It's about being present and being in the moment. And that's not what Zen is about. The Sanskrit, um, equivalent, to Zen is dhyana, which um is a state of meditation where your awareness is focused on the objects, right? It's that that's it. It's the same so you see it in tantric Buddhism as well. So what if we start doing that a little bit? Like I want and I coach my clients in this and I practice it sometimes. But I this is my other disclaimer like I don't know if I've said this on an episode before, all sex ain't tantric sex. Like sometimes (laughs) perfect examples today. um, EJ is going to, my partner, my husband's going to pick up my mother and we have a lot of things to get done. And we also wanted a quickie and how to navigate all of this on this, on this schedule where we're running a business and running errands and, and all of these things are happening so sometimes sex is still, you know, this beautiful moment where we get to be as connected as possible, but a very short time. Um, and it's not going to be a meditative space, but it, that doesn't mean that I don't get to meditate while I have sex other times. And I'm actually teaching a workshop tonight. It's my one of my favorite workshops that I teach a few times a year um, on meditative masturbation, which also is a way to move you into the space of Zen um, meditation while you are orgasming, Right you're just focusing on one one thing whether that's breath and for me a lot of times that's what it is my my or my focal point is often just my breath because i get breathy and i think it that comes from years of showmanship at work as a um you know when i back in my escort days where you know just this breathing in a very shallow way to kind of excite the body and move you more rapidly into orgasm um, that, that I want to, I'm always working to move away from that and to calm my breath, to stabilize my breath and to feel breath as it moves through the body. And I really like to try to actually feel the difference in the way the blood feels as it moves into um, my, you know, as it, as my body becomes oxygenated and with fresh oxygen, I, I want to be as conscious of breath as possible because that breath is activating so many things and it's allowing me to move deeper into my orgasm with my partner and it's allowing them to feel so many things too. If I'm not, if I'm having partnered sex, first of all, so, um, so yeah, Breath is a good focal point, but also I think for, you know, people who are not fully connected to their genitals, focusing on the genitals, focusing on the way that the genitals feel throughout, like as a breath meditation. So moving into a space where you're just meditating and your whole focus is just on your genitals understanding how they feel connected to the body, listening to the signals, to the communication that your body is receiving from your genitals, that your brain is receiving from your genitals while you're in sex. Because a lot of times we're thinking about all kind of other things. We're not fully conscious of any one thing. We're moving around. Our monkey brain is going and we're not, we're not really there all the time. So I think, Moving to that, you know, creating that, that one thing, finding that, excuse me, finding that one thing that you want to focus on really helps, um, really helps when you move towards orgasm. It really, I think, also helps speed you towards, towards orgasm as the arousal increases, right? Arousal increases because you're there for a change and, and that study that was done. Uh, I hope to see more of them. That was in 2016. So we're now f- almost four years out from that. It was February of 2016. So we really get to see an example of how that shows up. I think we really get a chance to offer ourselves a chance to see um, how meditation shows up for us insects and how we can move our own selves to a space where we are experiencing orgasm through Zen meditation in sex. And that also opens up the door for some very powerful sex magic. And it just really starts to scratch the surface to what we can really create with our sexual bodies. This is why sex is such a powerful healing tool. Um, And professionally, I don't want to see it regulated. I really don't. Like, I don't want ASECT any more involved in my sex work than they already are. Uh, ASECT is the American Association for Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Um, and I used to be a little kind of, like, felt some kind of way because, like, the relationship between ASECT and sex workers is, um, to me, not a healthy one. And, um... But I also, um, if you know anything about me, you know that I'm not a big fan of um, government intervention or certification um, management for uh, people who are needing to learn to practice indigenous practices. Sacred healing comes from way before white America. And um, I'm not going to, I don't think we should be getting regulated by by government on how to heal through our sex, and I think that that's that's where a sect is going, and that's where a lot of a lot of the work that um, that's being done out there is moving towards. And so, what I know that looks like for me as a black person, and for black people around me, and for brown people around me, is that it removes us from the conversation. It makes this inaccessible to us. It makes this style of healing become prohibitively expensive and inaccessible. Um, we've seen it happen time and time again. We've seen um you know from from therapeutic massage therapy to um acupuncture with actual needles, not dry needling, but um all of these things have really showed up in a way where it removes the 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 indigenous people, it removes um black and brown people from the practice massage school right now, it's about fourteen to fifteen thousand dollars to go to massage school. That is the scam of the century to me. Um, it just it just is. I mean, there's massage practices that I understand. I, I went to massage school. Um, I I did not pay that much. I don't understand how how that got inflated. I mean, I do. What happens when it gets regulated is that select group of people can go in and control it and then they can just keep raising the price. So every year it's another thousand dollars until no one brown is going to pay that much. Um, No one poor is going to pay that much. How can they? How can they go into debt for a job that doesn't offer a lot of stability? Um, If you end up working at a spa, I mean, you work your fingers to the bone, then you make twenty five dollars. $30 an hour while they charge a hundred dollars. It's insane out there in the massage world, but this is what regulation is, what happens with regulation. And it's, it's, it's a struggle for me because, you know, I've thought about going back to school to get my master's in family therapy, but I won't be able to, um, I won't be able to practice I won't, there's, you know, there's no way, no board in the world is going to let me offer, well, not in the world. Let me back that up. No board in the States is going to allow me to offer, um, a touch-based therapy that is also, um, that is cognitive and somatic, you know, like that psychology and sex are not supposed to go together according to the West, which is insane to me, um, I do hope to see a full decriminalization soon so that folks can access whatever type of sex work they desire, including the type that I offer and that other um, that other tantricas offer because we have this one also warped view of what sex work looks like and sex trafficking is being so like mixed in with the conversation about sex work that it's all very convoluted right now and people aren't really seeing the potential... Um, they're only seeing the danger, and it, it. as someone who's now, you know, I started working in sex work. I mean, I started as a sexual surrogate in 1997. It's a long time ago. It's 22 years of of, and I had a break. You know, I got I had a, a seven year, eight year break where I wasn't doing anything close to sex work, but, um. But that's still a long time for me in the game. And I, I don't, I don't, I'm concerned about where it's going because the healing power of sex, we are not really getting a chance to fully witness, um, you know, being aware of the chakra system and you can, you cannot not, you know, believe in the chakras if you want to, but, um, I think it was, a um, a sage, healer and shaman that I read that when Albert Veloto said something about like, it's like not believing in your kidneys. It doesn't, it's, they're there. It's your energy systems are there. And we, we know this, we've seen evidence of them throughout the world, whether we acknowledge them here or not. So understanding how this all relates to the body, how we are able to move um, sexual energy through the body, how Kundalini awakenings can, can really, lead to social, um, and emotional and breaks, you know, in the system without having some support around that. Like it really, it's a, it, this, we need this. We need sexual healing to be normalized in the world. So, um, anyway, that's my stint on that. I think I might go back to school, but I'm also torn between going back to get my, um, doctorate in the divinity and just continue with the spiritual work and going back to get the master's in family therapy, which would just probably lead me to a lot more writing. Eh, we'll see. We'll see where we go. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got for you this time. So I thank you again for tuning in and for, for being a part of this journey. I look forward to having you around for the next one. Um, This is the last podcast of 2019. So have a happy new year. Have an amazing new year celebration. If you're coming to hang out with us, we have the can of sexual cuddle puddle is back or the can of cuddle puddle. Sorry. is back. It's a non-sexual cuddle puddle. I have to put that out there. Um, Feel free to join in on Patreon. You'll see information about that there. Um, Also, uh, Tantra Fest tickets are on sale you know that's coming up in 2020 well, I hope to see you there or at one of our Tantra Tuesdays keep a lookout there's a whole new schedule that's being announced we have our retreat coming up and then we'll post up all of 2020 which is mapped out it's going to be such a fun and amazing year I hope to meet each and every one of you at some point um, so thank you I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you soon I'll see you soon until then go have some great sex Aloha and Ahui Ho. The Fix Your Sex podcast is a project of the Atlanta Institute of Tantra and Divine Sexuality. This episode was sponsored by Betcha produced by Denny Lavish, with music by Michael Finney. To learn more about sponsorship, visit www.atltantra.com.